Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Crime Talk Tea Time. I'm Rachel. And I'm Lindsay. And we are two sisters that talk about true crime. And we've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but we're happy to be back. Uh, We'll skip over any boring life updates, but we've had a few people ask us when we're going to do another installment of Crime Talk Tea Time. And so we are super excited to be back. And here we are. Bring you guys this case. That's right. So I just want to, before we get started, as you probably know, this is a crime podcast. So we are going to be talking about sensitive topics like murder and in this episode, eating disorders and poisoning. Um, So hide your kids. Yeah, really. (laughs) I mean, so this, I mean, it really doesn't get more horrible than a case like this. Um, In the case of Anu Singh, who murdered her boyfriend, Joe Chinque. On October 26, 1997, a mysterious call came into the emergency services. A young woman, Anu Singh, called to report a potential overdose. 26-year-old Joe Chinque had no history of drug use or suicidal ideations. An investigation immediately commenced around this suspicious and tragic case. Little did they know this was the result of a planned suicide pact held at a dinner party with guests. The victim, Joe, was completely unaware of the pact, and this was the second occasion Anu poisoned Joe's coffee with rohypnol and injected him with heroin to result in his untimely death. Such a crazy case. A lot to unpack there, even just from the little bit that you gave us, for sure. Um, But we will talk a little bit about Joe Chinque and... um, how he was described by family and friends. He was from New South Wales. His parents had immigrated from Italy to build a life in Australia. And he was described as an intelligent, energetic, extroverted young man. He did super well in school and he had a lot of friends, very beloved by many, many people. He went on to become a civil engineer and one of his friends, um, his description of Joe stands out to me in particular. He described him as someone who never had a bad word to say about someone. He was just very happy-go-lucky and never had fights or arguments with anyone. And he had a ton of friends, which obviously is a big contrast to how people described Anu. Oh, yeah. Anu didn't have hardly any friends at all. And um, right. She, we'll, we'll talk more about her, but Joe met Anu Singh in Newcastle in 1995 and he became infatuated with her. Um, he just saw her as this super attractive, um, intelligent young woman. Um, very vivacious, just very charismatic and intelligent. Yeah. And it's kind of off-putting. Like when you see photos of her, like she's got like the nineties eyebrows and it's just like, Okay. It was a different time for eyebrows then. And it's funny just because clearly just based on the description of the case, this is not what Joe deserved, but also it's just not the type of woman he deserved all across the board um, based on how her personality was described by people. I mean, even if um, things had not transpired the way that they were, Joe she was definitely deserved better. Exactly. Yeah. And it just like drove a wedge through his family. It's just so, so hardly tra- tragic. Right. Um, so Anu had moved to Canberra and I'm sorry, Australian people, if I am pronouncing that wrong, um, she, <laughs> <Let us know. laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, she came in pursuit of a law degree at the Australian national university where, um, eventually Anu and Joe maintained a long 
distance relationship, which involved Joe driving five hours from Newcastle to Canberra every weekend to be with his girlfriend. Yeah, pretty much. Um, She was described as somebody that was kind of strange, very open, almost like just constantly hitting that overshare button, you know? Yeah. And um, she was very dramatic, very attention craving. And a lot of the things that she said were described by people as just someone constantly seeking like shock value and attention and just someone that like very much thrived on negative emotions. As I'm Yeah. Sure. Like her, 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 her social currency is ha- being the center of attention at all times. And yeah. we all know somebody like that. This was before social media, so she couldn't uh, oh, right. get attention that way. <laughs> I bet you she had her own website. Remember when people used to do that before MySpace? Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Nice. just dated myself by... She was her only viewer. <laughs> yeah. She was her biggest fan. She, she would comment on her own website. Go right. get it, girl. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, oh. so his uh, he was going every weekend to visit her five hours, and his family and friends said he was going more frequently as he was concerned for her mental health and well-being. Um, even the first time she met his friends, she was particularly odd. Like the first thing she started talking about was like, do you think there's life after death, which is like a pretty intense and sometimes controversial thing to talk about. Um, At like a first meeting, especially, and for you to be the person that brought it up. And then she, she even remarked that she and her last boyfriend were so close. It was almost incestuous, which is obviously a strange choice of words just anyway. Yeah. It's like a uh, provocative, like, and also I feel like it kind of highlights Anu's um, like need for such intense codependency and relationships too. Like it kind of foreshadowed, um, what she was doing with Joe just anyway. I that feel was like. really weird. Like, I don't think it's as weird that she described it as incestuous as much as it is weird that she said it in front of her boyfriend and in front of her boyfriend's friend on the first time of meeting him. Yeah. It's really odd. It's definitely an odd thing to say. Just my anyway. boyfriend and I, my last boyfriend, we were, we so, were close. so close. It was incestuous. I had to get like, a DNA I wanna, test. I want to hand her like a dictionary and just like say, why would this be the word? Well, I also think, do you know people that'll like, I'm sure you like just think of past relationships or even past friendships where someone will like be like, oh yeah, my last boyfriend, we were way too close. Like it was a problem. I like that you and I are like at a distance, like arm's length. Like, you know, like it's like they use like a toxic relationship. It's like a subtle put down. Yeah. It's like they use it to make you feel like You're not as good. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. it it could be really bad. Like we could be obsessed with each other. Like, (laughs) and you're like, so you're not obsessed with me? So wait, we're not like vibing. We're not into each other. Oh yeah. Not like that. Yeah, exactly. Not like that. No, nothing like my last one. It'll never be as incestuous as my last relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Ma'am. Maybe maybe incestuous was the correct word though. Like, Yeah. I think, I think strangely it was very appropriate, like knowing now how she conducted her behavior as a person, I think incestuous probably was a very appropriate word. No, I'm just saying like, we don't know. It could have been like her family member, like a cousin or something. Maybe it actually wasn't by definition. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yikes. It's like, how much was she really trying to tell us? Obviously somebody that speaks in this manner is somebody that's seeking attention and just needed constant praise and approval. And so um, Joe Cinque's mom was speaking in an interview saying that she had some obvious concerns about this relationship and she was somewhat vocal about it to Joe and just kind of, 
let him know maybe this was not the girl for her, the girl for him rather. Um, And one of the things that Anu would do, Joe and his family were very close and they would have dinner right around 6 p.m. And Anu would call after dinner had started around like 6, 10, you know, 10 minutes into dinner. And Joe would get up from dinner, you know, put, put down his plate and his drink and run off to the phone and chat with her instead of having dinner with his family. So, um, Maria, his mother let Anu know, she came to the phone one time. She said, Anu, can you call at like seven o'clock, you know, let the man eat. He's with his family, let him eat. And knowing that Anu would still regularly call like right in the middle of their dinner, not even right at the middle. It sounded like yeah, it sounded like Maria claimed that she would regularly call like right at six intentionally. Like, yeah, like do it on purpose. Essentially on purpose to um, interrupt his dinner with his family. Which and is Maria, chaotic. Maria Cinque and Nino Cinque are the mother and father of Joe Cinque, respectively. Right. They saw Anu as unstable and they had expressed these concerns to their son. But nevertheless, they still invited her over for dinner and invited they were still her to, kind their to home. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were still polite um, and just kind of hoped he'd like it would fizzle out and he would realize that this is not a healthy or normal relationship. But unfortunately, by the time That's he started to realize that, yeah, it was it became too late. And um, she was clearly suffering from a plethora of mental health issues, whether alleged or oh, yeah. you know, depending on your opinion, whether she actually right. had like legitimate. I think there was clearly something wrong with her, whether all of these are an accurate depiction of kind of her mental state. You would have to know her, I guess. Here's my issue with the diminished responsibility charges is having bulimia and being a hypochondriac. Like, yes, that's a legitimate disorder, but does that diminish your responsibility? Like, I, I feel like they were kind of loose with the definition of that. And also, but people we're skipping seem, too far ahead. I know, but people <laughs> seem to think that just because you commit murder, there's something wrong with you and you are crazy. Or you, I mean, because, on a level, there must be. Well, I mean, how frightening would it be, though, to think that normal people could commit murder and they're not crazy? You know, so that's why people say, like, well, obviously, she has to be crazy if she plotted a murder with a dinner party. Or it's like, or she has like a personality disorder that makes her crave attention. And she, you know, to, to the point where she was willing to kill for the attention and that she, and yeah. she got it. So and she got it. I know. And it's sad because like both Joe's parents and even one of his friends said that Joe completely changed after being involved with Anu. He used to be like real extroverted and fun and warm. And once she was around, she was a center of attention and he just kind of was like a backseat side character. Yeah, exactly. He was just a supporting role, you know? So he eventually moved to Canberra to live with Anu, um, mostly because he was concerned about her mental state and kind of had this like almost like a savior complex, like, you know, I can help you out of this. And he just seems like a really nice, empathetic, caring guy that was just trying to help someone he cared about. Well-intentioned. Yeah. Yeah. She had become obsessed with her weight. She even said she'd rather die than be fat. And uh, it was known that she suffered from bulimia, but she eventually believed that she had AIDS and other um, unusual illnesses. She saw doctors and no one would really confirm that for her. Right. Um, her parents started to realize that there was something unusual going on with her. Um, and she was in law school and she was under a lot of pressure. So they actually had her go to a psychiatrist, I believe twice. Um, yeah. And she related to her bulimia and thinking, you know, she was constantly fat, even though if you see a picture of her, um, ignore the eyebrows, but like she's, she's normal, healthy size, even thin, you could describe her as, but 
she claimed that her motive for including Joe in the suicide pack was because Joe suggested she take Ipecac, and that is a cough syrup that makes you vomit if you take too much. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I heard, you know, it pronounced in an Australian accent. So I never know if I'm pronouncing things. You heard it in Australian. Yeah, it wasn't, so. it wasn't in English. It was in Australian. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, I love listening to Australian accents. It's one of my favorite ones. Um, Could listen to it all day long. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and it's, a, it's a it's a cringy thing to touch on because obviously Joe had no history of drug abuse and his family and friends um, reject the theory that he would have even known what Epicac was, um, would Let have alone. recommended that yeah. Anu take it or support Anu taking it, especially knowing what a hard time just with normal life circumstances she was having for him to not only encourage, but recommend a drug he probably didn't know anything about to his girlfriend just seems like a stretch. But anyway, that's what she says was the driving factor in her murdering him. So I don't really take any care on whether he said that or not. Like even, even if he, you know, said it in passing, like, she's like, what medicine makes you puke? And he's like, oh, I think there's this cough medicine like if she was fishing for ideas on how she could make it easier to throw up or something. Right. Um, or, or if he, she said, oh, I'm going to start taking this Epicac and that'll make me skinny. And he like laughed it off or like, or he even told her, Hey, you're fat and you need to take Epicac, which seems unlikely. But even if he did, it's no reason to be looped into a, a murder. Like it's completely, does it warrant killing someone? No, hard. No, <laughs> no. And, and it's kind of hard to believe if she, actually deep down believe that she had some of these illnesses or if this is one of those kind of histrionic hunt for attention right if she wanted if she wanted to convey to other people that she was sickly and ill because it got her more attention actually know for sure yeah so uh, i don't think i mentioned this yet but she had this sense of She's, you know, withering away and like rotting from the inside. Yeah. She wasn't too far off because she was very toxic, literally inside. And so, so she planned Joe's murder for months. She spent months researching the right to die, which is um, God bless the internet, right? I know. I I think it was, they were in the library, like looking at books and stuff. Like, oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It was back in the, Late nineties. Oh, see, because when it's funny nowadays when we think of research, I just imagine yeah, like at home on your good. laptop, like right. at Yeah, no, but yeah. she she was searching right to die, which is offered in some countries to people who apply for the right to die, and she was also researching how to commit suicide, which I don't know how that would look at a library. I think they might have just me- mean like she was exploring um, the idea. Explain the idea. And she also had a friend with her named Madhavi Rao who helped her in her research and planning and even obtained the Rohibnol, which is the means um, that was used to poison Joe before she injected him with heroin. Um, right. So Anu had decided to make the suicide pact unbeknownst to Joe, her unknowing boyfriend, and Madhavi Rao was aware of this. And, and participated, um, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Anu researched how to inject someone with heroin, had lessons on it, and um, researched how to get heroin. She even tried it on herself. And allegedly, she tried it on Rao as well. What a sad kind of concept, because you've seen some of these cases before where it's like two people link up that are just as crazy, so oh, to yeah. speak. Slenderman. And so, right, exactly like um, the Slenderman case that we covered before. It's kind of, it kind of begs the question, like if these two hadn't crossed paths, 
would it have resulted in murder or would it have transpired the same way? In this case, it might have. But I just think when you're talking about somebody who might potentially be delusional, which I'm not saying that Anu was, but she definitely was kind of in her own world, so to speak, to have someone not only like validate your claims or your perceived reality, but to also participate it in such a way that realize it. Yeah. That helps facilitate a murder. Yeah. is just really disturbing and unfortunate, but I think, I think it's tough to speculate whether anything would have happened, but we'll never know. I think it's just, I think Anu was a ticking time bomb. It may have played out a different, I mean, to the point where like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to give anything away, but we'll get to (laughs) it. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane that she planned this. It's also scary and shocking that she had someone helping her plan it. And then also we'll talk a little bit more about the dinner party and the people that imagine if I came to you, cause you're like, you know, one of my closest friends and also my relative. Um, (laughs) but imagine if I came to you and was like, Hey, I have AIDS, I think, and no doctors are confirmed. I've been able to, uh, yeah, exactly. Which I doubt she would share that, but it's like, Hey, I'm going to die like eventually, which, you know, like it's interesting. She chose AIDS because, you know, I don't know where that came from. Like if she felt like she was (laughs) exposed to it and that's not really a a death sentence necessarily anyway, like she was like in her mid twenties, it's not like she was going to, you know, expire anytime soon, even if that was true. I think just less was known about, but imagine if I, I came to you and I was like, so I need to kill um, my boyfriend, but he like also me, but like, let's come up with like a good plan. You want to go library? I would be like, um, sis. Yeah. Get in the car. I'm going to check you into a mental institution on the way. Yeah. Right. Lock you up what, and throw what it. What do you want for your last Starbucks order? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, can you imagine having lunch with that person? But it's that's like, what's so food. strange is like Madhavi Rao, like you mentioned, like the idea of a shared delusion almost, but like, yeah, I think so it's she like, was just for a, for a sick as, uh, and depraved might be a better word. I think depraved as yeah. Anu was, um, you know, it's just insane. Yeah. It's like, well, as sick and depraved as Anu was, how did she find a perfect follower, a perfect supporter? Yeah. You know, it's just interesting. I mean, they said that Madhavi Rao like looked up to Anu and, you know, because she was so gorgeous and intelligent and uh, delicious. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And it's so popular. But like, yeah, she said she like trailed after her like a puppy dog. Um, it kind of reminds me of, you probably don't get this reference, but in Harry Potter, Peter Pettigrew like trailed after um, Sirius Black, like a leave it dog. to you to bring it back to Harry Potter. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. Um, but so anyway, Anu announced that she was going to do a dinner party and the attendees who were mostly invited by Madhavi Rao, her accomplice, um, who is implicated in conspiracy to commit murder, in my opinion, um, they informed the attendees that a crime would be committed. And these attendees are law students, fellow law students. So no shade to you law students out there, but like, come on. Do better, law students. Do better. From the 90s. Do better. I just am trying to picture a scenario in which I've hosted a dinner party or two in my day. And for the more formal situations, you usually send out invitations. Yeah, what would that mean? How do you inform someone, oh, hey, just wanted to ask if you all have any um, food allergies. Also, a crime will be taking place. Oh, my God. 
Like, I just want to know h- how exactly were they informed and Join not to trivialize it. And a crime will be committed. Like, what? Oh, my god. How about, like, then she, like, rips off the tag of a mattress. It's like, do not remove under penalty of law. Yeah, exactly. No, like, just like, was the type of crime... That's the know, thing, though. Some, some people kind of say that she said that she and Joe were going to commit suicide together. Well, and how terrifying, too. You've heard of the 70s game. Um, I think it was, like, late 60s, Button, Button, Who Has the Button? Yeah where people would have drinks out and they would all like grab a cup and one or a few of them would have acid in it. And so it's like, I'm would you want to go to that party? Yeah. Well, anyway, that that's, so it's like, is that what, party more fun if you know, or more fun if you don't know? I don't know, but either way I would RSVP. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, it's disturbing in and of itself that the attendees were people that obviously have more of um, more education in the way of how the law works than your average person off of the street. And that even with that said, those people decided to attend a party where they were informed that a crime, what type of crime may or may not have been specified was taking place. And they did to some degree know that Anu and Joe were planning to kill themselves in some sort of capacity. Potentially. If I had a friend that was like, hey, come to my dinner party, a crime will be committed. I'd be like, actually, you're like, I'm actually, gonna you're going to be committed because I'm going to turn you in. You're going to be like, committed. But yeah, some yeah. people say it's like, you know, the bystander effect, which is where it's like the diffusion of responsibility. It's like if everyone around you, you're like, oh, someone's going to call the cops if there's really a problem. And then some people say that maybe they just didn't take her seriously at all, which I think is likely. I think that's you know, more likely, I mean, to be honest. And also, too, it was um, uh, supposedly pitched to her friends as their goodbye party, their farewell, their bon voyage yeah. before meeting the other side, so to speak. And I right? can't believe no one told no. Joe, like, hey, Joe, like, how did you get wrapped up in this? Like, or, Joe, I'm really sorry. How that did this no is your one let party. it slip? Yeah, how did nobody like, let it slip? Or, like, hey, Joe, you really don't have to do this, buddy. Or, like, hey, Joe, are you feeling okay? You need someone like, to talk to, my friend? Yeah, just everyone was like, okay, we'll be there. Yeah, that's terrible. Well, uh, if they knew, like if the attendees knew, do you think they should be charged with a crime? Yeah, I think it's not a matter of why they didn't they commit should. a crime, though. Is knowing why? a crime, having knowledge of a crime, is that a crime? I think it depends on the circumstances. What do so you here's, think? I actually looked up the definitions of um, manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. Um, so... Essentially, criminally negligent homicide is any type of accidental death caused by the reckless or negligent behavior of an individual. A lot of times this is used when your failure to intervene directly or indirectly contributes to a person's death. Directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, but the Australian definition is a little different. But it is still a charge, so I I, I kind of got like weirded out reading all about the. I guess I don't, it, I don't have a law degree. Like I'm like, it eh. depends on whether. And again, hashtag not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. dot com is my website, but it depends on Free whether advice dot com. Yeah, from a not lawyer. <laughs> yeah, um, legal advice from an esthetician. No, it depends on whether or not you think. And I'm not saying one way or the other. You think that doing nothing just by attending this party and not doing anything directly or indirectly caused a crime that resulted in murder to occur. You know, I mean, well, it, I guess that's subject for debate. The crime that did happen the first time was, um, I forget what it's called, but when you, you just give someone poison, like you give them, I think giving someone a drug is a felony. 
Like if right. they're unaware, you're giving them, especially like a controlled substance. Yeah. So like, I don't know if what their knowledge to what degree it was, but right. also manslaughter um, is criminal negligence, even if there is no intent to kill. So, you know, manslaughter might be a more fitting definition. I do think they should have been charged with something, even if it was a misdemeanor, especially right. because they work in law. Probation or, yeah, exactly. And some yeah. of these people may or may not have gone on to actually become lawyers, which is kind of terrifying too. So at the end of the party, and this is the first party, and that can probably lead you to presume that, yes, there is a second party in which people knew that there would be a suicide. At the end of the party, she spiked Joe's coffee with Brohypnol, um, which you may know as the date rate drug. Um, and then she went to inject him with heroin, but it congealed either due to the temperature, because you see they like step heroin, or it was a really high concentration. It just congealed and she couldn't get out of the syringe. So he woke up the next morning feeling like super hungover, probably from the Rohypnol. And he was completely unaware that he had been drugged. Like he probably just thought he had too many drinks. Oh my God. And what's Anu. so bizarre is this like, did not deter her. You would think yeah. maybe if you were somebody that was spiraling, um, you know, or, or dealing with any kind of like depressive mental illness, maybe this would be the thing. Or if you're somebody that believes in rock bottom at all, this exactly would be the rock bottom where you're like, Oh my God. Wow. Fate intervened. What was I really I doing? I almost murdered someone that I love or yeah. have and what's really loved. creepy is I, I really hate her definition of suicide pact because like, first Can of you all, she doesn't call it that suicide. She doesn't even try. She just murdered her boyfriend. I don't, you know, she does later on apologize for this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, she held an additional dinner party two weeks later with the same known purpose and guests attended. And again, <clears throat> at the end of the party, she laced his Rohypnol, sorry, laced his coffee with Rohypnol. She laced the Rohypnol with coffee. Basically. Yeah, really. And she um, injected him with heroin. And this was a Friday night. He didn't die. So she gave him more heroin. She gave him an additional dose on Sunday. Yeah, and he had well over like the higher end of the lethal amount in his system. And he suffered and violently vomited black substance, which, which would be blood. blood. Is that digested blood or something? I don't know. I would um, think so. But and she, and she even says, "Oh my god." Okay, I'll get to that in a second. But Anu, she called one of her friends, not triple zero, or as we say in the United States, nine one one. She called her friend and said, "You know, she's concerned about Joe overdosing," and her friend was like, "You need to call a freaking ambulance." And Anu refused. She said, oh, Joe will be mad at me if I call an ambulance. And her friend was You're like, assuming he's going to live. I, oh. well, she said to her, her friend said to her, you're a selfish bitch. And if you don't call an ambulance, you're going to have a murder charge, which, you know, good for you for calling the Anu. The sad <laughs> thing is, yes, good for you for calling Anu out. But the sad thing is, is that that's what motivated her to yeah. to call well that's the thing is it's like zero. her friend said you're gonna have a murder charge but i don't i didn't know if it was clear that her friend knew that she was trying to kill joe or yeah. if what her, friend was this or if we her friend know. thought joe was trying to kill himself or if her friend just thought that joe suddenly picked up this uh new hobby of doing heroin and was legitimately overdosing so i don't know what is the exact scenario what either context, way, yeah yeah like the either way she was like you need to call an ambulance. So now we're going to get to the, you know, final hours and now the death of Joe Chinque. And do you want to talk about, um, well, mom a little bit. 
uh, why don't we talk about when she did call? Okay, so after 36 hours, she calls 30. Hold on. Let's air that out a little bit. So she has given Joe not only Rohypnol, right, which I'm sure does some wonky things to your body if you've ever known anyone, unfortunately, that's been experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that in and of itself is a pretty, you know, traumatic thing. It's it's hard on your body, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, uh, one shot of heroin that unfortunately did not kill him, right? A second shot that's making him violently ill, essentially, right? And so Anu is at home with Joe while he's violently ill and she sits around contemplating what to do, calling her friend, whatever else she's doing, you know, in turmoil, hopefully, waits 36 hours before calling triple zero, aka 911. Okay, handing you back the mic. Because that's scum just of, shocking. Scum of the earth. Pretty much. So what's really weird, I, I'm sure you heard the 911 call. Um, if any viewers haven't heard it, I suggest you go check it out. She calmly and almost like playfully when I listen to it reports, Ugh. she's like, you know, hi, I'd like to report a potential overdose. And the 911 caller or whatever, the triple zero guy is like right. a potential overdose. <laughs> what does that mean? And she's like, you know, she lies and says her name's Olivia. Then they're like, well, where are you at? And she gives the wrong address intentionally. And then she's like, you know, alternating between screaming hysterically and then like calmly talking to the operator and then expressing how much she loved Joe. Finally, emergency services arrive and find Joe naked from the waist down. They were unable to revive him and Anu is frantically pacing. She even grabs an emergency worker's forearm and she insists he had a lot last night. And so it's like, you know, they said that they couldn't get a line into his lungs. Um, because it was just a brown froth, which is a, a really bad sign. And she even says on the 911 call before they get there, and she's like, he's puking up blood. Is that a bad sign? And the operator's like, I mean, it's not a good sign. Like, yeah, it's not a sign that he's healthy about? and living. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like she like is feeding off the attention. Is that a bad sign? And he's like, uh, well, I think yeah. she obviously is afraid that he will live because she doesn't want to deal with the repercussions of her actions. And it kind of begs the question. Is she someone that called triple zero nine one one and had some kind of like um, regret? And so that's why she's giving them misleading information, no. wrong information. Or is she someone that's trying to set it up for an insanity defense? I don't know. I also As someone wonder that's had if a, she's trying to delay them because she's worried if they show up yeah, and he's alive, he's right. going to be like, I don't do heroin. I Either never way, have. it sounds like someone that no, I has think that's correct. Their wits about them, right? Like for her to call as much as you intentionally can. mislead law enforcement or the ambulance, I should say, is to to be so deceptive to them. She kind of, you know, she knew. She I think it's point. intentionally deceptive, and I think it's pretty accurate when I like saying that she is worried that if they show up and they revive him, yes, yes, then he's going to tell them hey, live and yeah. talk. Well, yes, worst of all, get her in trouble. So if he's dead, I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, he started doing heroin like last weekend and, eh, you know, yeah. so she, I mean, he ended up, you know, dying on October 26, 1997, uh, cause of death is asphyxiation at age 26. And the police were immediately suspicious because Joe was just a healthy young man with no history of drug abuse or suicidal ideations. 
And now we can circle back to right. Uh, his so obviously, while all of this is transpiring, Maria Cinque, who is Joe's mother, um, hadn't heard from her son in a few days, and they were obviously really close, so that was unusual. And so she called him, and a police officer answered the phone. And she was pretty shocked by that. Obviously you're expecting to hear your son's voice and you hear an officer. He asked who he was speaking to and she let him know that she was obviously his mother. And at the exact same moment, she says law enforcement was at her door knocking at her door. And when she answered, they informed why they were there. They were there to speak with her about her son. And she just immediately lost it. She was screaming and crying. She said, please don't say anymore. She killed him, didn't she? And she just had an eerie and also accurate feeling that Anu had been the cause of his death. And um, she was someone that thought that maybe Anu had just kind of like lost it and snapped, but it's kind of a stark contrast to how things obviously played out. Um, Anu, you know, planned this for quite some time, which is, you know, arguably more disturbing, I think. Well, I, yeah. And (laughs) you know, the, the police, as I said, they were immediately suspicious and they eventually learned of Anu's bizarre dinner party. And Anu was asked by police, why, if you're doing a suicide pact, didn't you kill yourself? That is a question everyone has, you know? How is it a suicide pact? I mean, I wonder if there ever the other person does not know. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like Joe was described as someone who was depressed. It seems like most of the issues in his life were caused by Anu and that he otherwise was a pretty happy-go-lucky person. It didn't seem like he was somebody that was suffering from depression, had a history of depression or any kind of drug dependency or recreational drug use at all. So that's kind of an odd if you've seen uh, the inter- in during interrogation, she's like crying, but there's no tears. And that's always a big red flag. And I cannot stand when people say there's no playbook for grief. Like that's one of my pet peeves because it's like, if there was sis, that ain't it. I don't know. I mean, it's just like invisible you know, tears is not dry not sobbing. And, you know, she, I don't know. I, I, I understand. Cause I'm sure like we'll get comments or, or, messages of people saying, actually, I know people that didn't react at all. And, or I know people that, you know, would go between being hysterical and normal. It's like, okay, like, I'm sure you do, but like, if you're trying to cry and make yourself look like you're sad, like that's very suspicious in the very least. Yeah. Um, if like, not in the playbook of grief or whatever, but, um, what's let's, if we go back to, you know, her friend who helped her plan the murder, Madhavi Rao, you know, was, also charged right and anu was charged with um murder uh madhavi was infatuated with anu and it was she was really her only real friend as we said she didn't have a lot of friends and it's um um, easy to understand why so when we kind of (laughs) kind of (laughs) sum it all up rao had researched the suicide heroin injection injection provided rohibnol and invited the party guests and you know Sounds like a conspirator, sorry, a conspirator, a co-conspirator, if ever I've heard of one, but. Well, you know, initially they were to stand trial together, but then they later abandoned and recharged them separately and they both opted for a trial by judge. Why do you think they did that? Because it's difficult to convince 12 people that you're innocent. It can be easier to convince one, especially when it's a emotionally charged subject like this. 
where it's like you plotted and planned and contrived and killed someone in a suicide pact that, you know, you chose to not obligate. Um, and judges will make a ruling based on the legality without yes, being but, emotional. Right? right. So it's like, did you do something illegal? What is your, uh, capacity? What's the exact definition of this right. charge and right. Kind of split hairs. Whereas you're right. It is kind of an emotional case. I think yeah. people would react very viscerally on the jury and just, you know, yeah, they'd be like, she's a, a toxic freak and just convict yeah. her. Or right. like, well, I'm convinced, you know, and it's like, it wouldn't take much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but what's really strange is Anu's trial mo- mainly focused on her mental health. They said she had a lack of motive, although it seemed that she said the Ipecac serum, you know, had made her ill and that was his fault. And she was, you know, capable enough to plan his murder for months and carry it out and even inform others of her plan. But um, they charged her, you know, with murder, but with diminished responsibility rather than insanity because they claim that her mental health disorder impaired her judgment. Do you know? So here's her mental health disorder. Being a narcissist impairs your judgment. Well, here's her official diagnosis, borderline personality disorder, depressive disorder, eating disorder. So I disagree. Um, I know pretty well about all three of these uh, disorders. And I don't think borderline personality disorder and it could be used to say you have um impaired judgment when at the same time you were planning and collecting the items you needed you know misleading law enforcement like i don't think that you can like she knew what she did was wrong i don't really that shows someone that has their wits about i know people that have borderline personality disorder they're not out here killing people No. And, you know, is there a higher incidence of people with that disorder killing people? I'd have to look at the statistics, but like, I wouldn't say it's a determinant. For sure. You know, and should Anu be charged with first degree murder or second degree? Like, what do you think? So first degree, oh, let me read the the definition. So yeah, for those that don't know. So any intentional... Mimi. <laughs> yeah, any intentional murder that is willful and premeditated with malice and aforethought is first degree, right? Right. And second degree is any intentional murder with malice, aforethought, but is not premeditated or planned. Yeah, I don't think that you can make an argument that this wasn't premeditated and planned, um, especially from her hosting not one but two parties. I mean, she had that. She had that first come to Jesus, so to speak, that first failed murder attempt to stop what she was doing. You know, I mean, that definitely, you could maybe make it an assumption that she was spiraling and unwell, but she had every opportunity to not continue. And so not only did she plan one murder, essentially she effectively planned two, right? One failed attempt and one successful yeah, attempt. So I mean, definitely first degree in my opinion. So she got, you know, 10 year sentence with a non-parole period of four years. And because she had been detained, uh, waiting trial. Yeah. She had time served. So she just served an additional 18 months and was released. Does your um, face just get hot? My face gets yeah, hot my stuff face like that. Hot. Yeah, I don't know why. I think I noticed that randomly my face got hot, but I don't know if it's, I think it's just my rosacea. Your face has always been hot. No, mm-hmm. I mean, my face gets hot hearing 
<laughs> things like that when you are reading a case where clearly somebody is guilty they're convicted but just the sentence is not appropriate for the crime at all and i would argue that somebody that can kill their boyfriend while they're dating them their caring is, loving boyfriend who tried to take care of them right and help them through their darkest hours, so to speak, can someone like that is definitely dangerous. And I don't know that someone like that is capable of genuine remorse. I think it would be less likely. Well, she, a planned murder like that. If it's any, you know, if it means anything, she has apologized publicly to the Chinque family Mm -hmm. and she states she does not know why this happened other than she was mentally ill. Yeah. She can't even rationalize it to herself. So is she mentally ill? That's the question, you know? And Anu had told people, and they even testified this in the court, that Anu had said it would not be difficult to convince people in the court that she was crazy due to her knowledge of psychiatry and the law. Isn't it so weird how people be telling on themselves? Like, can you imagine? It's one thing for someone to say that. It's another thing for someone to say that and then find themselves on trial for murder. And right. people can look back and point to like, hey, remember that time you said that it wouldn't be hard to convince people you were crazy? Um, well, I think it is just that what also, you're doing? Just committing murder. People just kind of are more willing to believe you're crazy because they're like, I couldn't see someone in, that I know doing that. And, you know. Yeah, for sure. They can't relate to that stigmatized. sort of mentality. Yeah. So, Definitely. you know, personally, I see Anu as someone mundane who wanted to be interesting passionate, special, and recognized, which is fitting with her diagnosis of BPD, borderline personality disorder. And I think the idea of killing him just merely excited her and kind of made her feel interesting and special and unique. And she also wanted the attention that came with um, doing something big like this. And even if that meant like her going to court, like they, I mean, they've even, you know, the documentary I saw, they said she seemed like she was enjoying it being in court and, you know. So disgusting to me. She got away with murder, but I mean, should Madhavi have been charged? (sighs) Um, You know, it's an interesting kind of a thing because yes, she should be charged in. But with what? The ways that she participated, I think she clearly had, um, you know, she is definitely responsible, but yeah, exactly. But charged with what? I think she should have been so she was not found guilty of murder mostly because they couldn't place her in the room during the murder so she walked free but i think she should have been charged with conspiracy to commit murder that's a completely right. appropriate that would be an appropriate charge, charge. yeah especially because she provided the means right means motive opportunity she provided the means so she's yeah. a third of the equation definitely so. and i mean actually some of the uh more important parts too right yeah. And I don't know that you could claim that without her, Anu wouldn't have carried out the crime in some other fashion. But in the way that the events did transpire, she definitely had a lot to do with it. The so way I, I look at it is... to commit murder would be an appropriate charge. I agree. The way I look at it is, okay, yes. Would have Anu maybe have gone through this without Madhavi? Possibly. But did she go out through with this without Madhavi? No. It was with her involvement and her encouragement right. and her support and her... Um, providing the drugs, like, you know, that's, that's a uh, crucial part of the escalation of events. So it's a difficult thing too, because when you come to the end of these types of cases, um, 
it's difficult to reconcile with, obviously, because it's sad what happened to Joe, but also because if you're someone that doesn't really feel like people like this uh, often are genuinely remorseful, that's kind of a difficult feeling to reconcile with. But I would like to think that Madhavi and Anu have to, and also the party goers too, right? The people that attended this like party they, have to live with what I don't think they care with what their what their involvement was. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think know. I mean, there's to like reconcile with even famous, just listening, like famous um, psychology experiments where like people feel bad that they like pressed this button that would electrocute the person on the other side, and it was actually not really electrocuting anyone. But the, they would go higher and higher because the the authority told them no, keep turning it up, keep turning it I up. I remember. Yes, I know what you're talking but they, about. Some of those people had like PTSD, even though there was nobody there. They were like, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. Like, but so it's kind of like I feel like it's possible the law students regret what they did, but I think at the same time, especially being law students, they're like, I didn't do anything illegal. Yeah. For you sure, know, they compartmentalize and they're able girl. to rationalize it to themselves. I was even hardly but friends with her. When I tuck myself into bed at night after reading about cases like this and hearing about things like this, I like to tell myself that they have to live with that. <laughs> I guess. I just, I guess I have very little faith in like the genuine concern of the public for like other I people. Know. I in my know. own imaginary world. <laughs> I feel like Anu, true crime cases cases I like to feel like my own internal justice was served because I tell myself they have to live with that yeah. and deep down they, they probably don't care. I don't know, it just depends. I think it is a person to person thing. I also I do yeah. think Anu might have like a mild sense of remorse like I did a bad thing. Like I regret Man. the thing I did kind of deal. Yeah, that's you know sort of that's like, sort of remorse. Yeah, yeah like it's just like a I regret I regret I regret um what the choices that I made. Uh, maybe she doesn't feel bad no, for I think committing the crime, but is inconvenienced by the consequences of her actions. I think it's I also think like it's- I didn't realize I was capable of doing something that bad, or you know, I feel bad that like I affected his family or that he's not here. Like I think she probably has some sense of remorse. Like we can only hope though. I mean, she apologized publicly, but it was kind of like flat. Like it was like, yeah, yeah, because I mean, I, sorry. I I can't, uh, you know, I can paraphrasing. Well, I was going to say, I can't, you know, speak for someone that's experienced that, like as a family member of someone who's been murdered, right? Like that actually might be comforting on a case by case basis, depending on the person and their own experience. But yeah, hearing, you know, a, a half-hearted uh, apology. I don't know that that helps anyone other than maybe the Herself. perpetrator feel yep. better about how they are potentially received and perceived by people. Or like right when like she, she applies for a job and they Google her name, they're like, oh, she apologized at least. <laughs> oh, she apologized. Oh, it's all good on you. Well, you, I guess, you know, you it just comes here. down to like something senseless and tragic happened that's like completely devastated a family. And, you know, at the end of the documentary I saw on it, um, which isn't the only source we used, but it really kind of made me sick to my stomach when the police officer, I think it was, or the DA said the mm-hmm. only person that people that cried for Joe at all, like the only tear shed was his parents. Like nobody else shed wow. a tear. So it's just kind of like, you know, it's completely disrupted and destroyed this family. And it's kind of like, it just made no sense. And she just so walks senseless. free. I mean, it's insane. Can you imagine plotting and planning someone's murder for months and you just serve like a couple years in jail? It's like, okay. 
And because I have a BPD and an eating disorder, like if everyone with BPD and an eating disorder did stuff like this, man, I'd yeah, especially nowadays, never leave. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, so it's (laughs) definitely scary and sad. Yeah, definitely. I just I feel really sad for his family and for him, of course. But it's just like, I mean, you know, he was just trying to help. He was just trying to be a nice person and. You know, what's the expression, no good deed goes unpunished? Oh, that's cynical. Yeah. All right. I well, know what it is. Do you want to I guess we're note? signing off. Do you yeah. happy note? Um, um, thank you all so much for listening. And we appreciate you um, tuning in and following this case with us. It was definitely an interesting case to cover for sure. And um, not one that I had heard about. So Right. Definitely- this blew my mind. I actually heard about it from True Red Crime on YouTube. He always has the like most interesting obscure cases that like just blow my mind and it's like th- this case it starts off you're just like how did someone do this? stranger than fiction for sure yeah one stranger of those than fiction. stranger than fiction like you can't make this kind of thing up and if you did it would be pretty unbelievable it would be unbelievable you know I mean? yeah, yeah definitely it's terrible i mean and two so- dinner parties later it took you know like and no one said anything no one called his family was like hey i don't know if you know but like yeah, Joe's trying to commit suicide with his girlfriend. Like nobody decided to like reach out to anybody. I mean, it also was a different time. Like his mom didn't have like a Facebook, you know, <laughs> like it's harder to get in contact with people, but I guess they had phone books, but right? You remember still, phone books? Yeah. Or I remember some phone books. sort of. I would always look us phone up in the books. phone books. Yes. Phone books, checking out books at the library. <sighs> Lots of nostalgia. Dirty books from the library. Uh, nope. I don't remember that. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, now. All right. We well, wanna... I guess we're signing off for now. Um, like I said, we're super excited to cover this case. And thank you all for listening. And we will be back for another installment of Crime Talk Tea Time. Bye.